Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting at... Sitting to my right, as unusual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. The Nelly, a cruising yawl, swung to her anchor without a flutter of the sails and was at rest. Okay. Yeah. So, um, first of all, uh, if you are wondering why I am to Chris's right as opposed to across from him, it's because we have a an interesting setup for a, uh, a different kind of podcast, which may or may not happen. <laughs> So if if it sounds like this podcast is disjointed, as if we had started one, stopped it, and then picked it up later, that's why. That's I think that's enough mystery, right? Sure, why not? So let's talk about what we're actually covering today, because it has nothing to do with that. No, no, and I, I think we should stop hovering around the topic. No, just, we got to get to the chopper. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about uh, helicopters today. Yes. And it's kind of surprising that we haven't talked about it before. Yeah, well, when you start looking into... What is involved in uh, making a helicopter work? I can see exactly why we haven't done it before. Well, you know, the helicopter business does have it up, have its ups and downs. Yeah, nice. I like how you did that. Um, yeah, so so let's talk about helicopters. So I'm sure all of you are familiar with the concept of a helicopter, but uh, when did these things? How, how did how did we come up with this idea? When did this originally spring to mind? Oh, okay. Well. Uh, you know, it, it it is something that has been on my mind since I was a kid. I've always loved helicopters. Yeah. So the other day, yeah, Jonathan sent me a video that I couldn't watch because my current bandwidth was too low. Yes. On my internet connection, and it took me two days to actually watch it. But uh, it was a a video of some very tiny quadricopters. Yeah, they were called nano quadricopters in the video itself. Although that is a misnomer, since nano typically means one billionth. Yeah. And uh, they were not that small. No. In fact, they fit on the palm of someone's hand. Yeah, they're about the size of the palm of your hand. And uh, I I was thinking about how... how unusual the quadricopter is because it, it doesn't have a, a tail rotor like a traditional helicopter does. Right. Um, yet they're very, very maneuverable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I thought, you know, hey, Jonathan, why don't we talk about uh, helicopters because we never really talked about them before. So right. So that's how it came to mind. Yeah, that's how it came to mind. Now, how how the idea of a helicopter actually came to mind for human beings in general, that dates back pretty far in human history, uh, and it all begins with a toy. Yeah, um, you know what? I think just about everybody who's uh, gone to their school fair or whatever has won one of these little, you know, seventy-two cent uh, stick with a propeller on it. Yeah. And then you spin it in the palm of your hand and let go, and it'll and it fly up a little bit in the and then crash down to the earth. But they yeah. weren't always made from plastic. No, no, they were the the Chinese had a uh, a little top mm-hmm. that they used where the top was. Uh, had feathers on it. Yes. And it did the same sort of thing. You would uh, put the put the stick between your hands, the feathers would be at the top, you spin the stick very quickly, the feathers would spin and it would create some lift and the stick would fly up in the air and then come back down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Yep. And as it turns out, uh, the, the concept is is pretty simple. Basically, yeah. you're, you're creating a, an airfoil. Yes. Um, that instead of like an airplane wing uh, where you're going forward, um, it's it going straight up simply because um, the the air that that uh, moves over the airfoil that creates lift is taking it 
uh, straight up instead of forward. Yes. So I guess to, to really kind of discuss this, we should probably talk about a little bit about the parts of a helicopter. Yeah. So that way we can uh, explain what these these parts actually do and how they achieve flight. Mm-hmm. So the the blades that we talk about, that's a rotor. Mm-hmm. Right? right? So the rotors are affixed to a rotor mast. That's the part that actually creates the uh, the turning motion that makes the blades go round in a circle. And the, the blades themselves are angled. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can that angle can change depending upon a control. Uh, there are different control rods that can change the, the, um, the attitude of those blades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, uh, two of them, actually. There's the cyclic controller, which mm-hmm. can... Control them individually. Yes, that's also known as the stick. Right. Yeah, that's right. the that's the stick. And then there's a, a what is it? The collective one, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the collective pitch lever. What that does is it actually changes the attitude of all of the rotors, the main rotors, at the same time. Um, and that uh, both of those are important for various maneuvers with the helicopter. But we'll get into that in a second. There's also with the rotors. There's a, a stabilizer mm-hmm. because you've got these long airfoils that are extending out from a, uh, a shaft and they're turning around and around, there's a chance that they're going to start, you know, flopping around a little bit, causing some issues, mm-hmm. you know? So the stabilizer is there to help add some rigidity there so that, so that these blades will will maintain the right shape so that you can fly. It's kind of funny, too, because apparently uh, it was just one of those things that someone added to the, uh, the helicopter, um, uh, and uh, as as it turns out, it, it made a major improvement in the stability and, and flyability of helicopters. Yeah, the early helicopters, when they were flying, it was a pretty bumpy ride. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And it was definitely a challenge for a pilot to maintain control because it just, you know, the, uh, without that stabilizer, it just, like you were saying, it just wasn't as flyable. Mm-hmm. So it was a uh, definitely a, a good addition to the parts of a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a... Uh, a there's a there are two plates that are on the the uh, rotor mast. Right. All right. That uh that also are a big part of the helicopter. It's called the upper swash plate mm-hmm. and the lower swash plate. And despite what you might think, they are not joined by a swash buckle. Instead, if you imagine <laughs> that the imagine two plates, two uh, two round plates. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. And they're both, uh, they both have the, uh, the shaft of the motor, of the rotor rather, mm-hmm. uh, goes straight through these two plates. The lower plate is stationary. It does not turn. Mm-hmm. On top of the lower plate are ball bearings. Yes. And then on top of the ball bearings is the upper swash plate, which does turn. Yes. The ball bearings are what allow it to turn over the, uh, the lower swash plate. Now the swash plate, the reason that's important is, remember when I was talking about the collective uh, the collective control that changes the attitude of all the blades at the same time. Yes. That what that actually does is it allows that plate to tilt mm-hmm. either forward or backward or however you need it to, so that you can make the helicopter veer in the direction you want it to go. Yeah, because really up until this point, what we were doing was going up and down. We weren't going left or right or forward over or that way or. Yeah. Back this way, because uh, if you try, if you have one of those toys that we were talking about before with the uh, the blade on the stick, you, you point it straight up and it goes straight up and then it'll drift off a little bit to the side, but you don't really control that. Right. If you pointed it, you know, at your friend, it's going to go in his or her direction. And that's what uh, these swash plates allow 
the uh, pilot of the helicopter to do it. It helps tilt the blades, and and the helicopter starts flying in that direction. Yes, because uh, it adds it adds a second element, right? Mm-hmm. You first have the first element you have is lift. Right. The second element you would have is thrust. Yes. So when you start to change the attitude of the blades, you have both lift and thrust. Now there is a point where if you were to tilt that beyond a certain threshold, you would no longer have enough lift to uh, counteract the weight of the helicopter itself, and it would start to lose altitude. Right. It might be moving forward, but it's going to be going lower and lower until you uh, correct that. Right. And that's one of the reasons why uh, piloting a helicopter is so challenging. In mm-hmm. fact, when we get into the different controls, you'll find out you're using both your legs and both your arms to try and maneuver a helicopter, and so it takes a lot of concentration. Yeah. Yeah, it's also why you don't see a lot of uh, people flying helicopters in loop de loops. Yeah, well, that's yes, <laughs> unless of course yes. they're Airwolf, because yes, apparently it exactly. can do that. Right. Yeah, but that, no, that is true because once you get beyond that certain threshold, you no longer have the lift necessary to keep you in the air. Uh, yeah, and these blades are connected to that rotor mast through blade grips. That's the technical term for where the blades fit into this rotor mast. And on the very top of the rotor mast, you have something that's that's got an interesting name. Yes. The Jesus Nut. Yes. It really is called that. It's called the Jesus Nut. And uh, uh, there are various theories as to why it's called that, and I don't know what any of – I don't know the truth of any of them. Yes, the one that, that – we have an article on the site. Yes. It's, uh, a, it's a really good article, too, with lots of really helpful uh, illustrations. So mm-hmm. if you are interested in helicopters and you really want to get a look at what these different parts look like, I highly recommend you check it out because mm-hmm. it's it's one of the more exhaustive – uh, articles on the site, I would say. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And um, very, very illustrative of yes. what you're doing here when you're flying a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, we were talking about the tail rotor just a moment ago. Yes. Um, very important in, yes. in, the, in the design of a helicopter. So here's another thing about helicopters. You've got this blade turning around and around that's creating lift. And when the lift gets strong enough to counteract the weight of the helicopter, it's going to rise in the air. Without a tail rotor. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever wondered why that's there. Yeah, without a tail rotor, which is that little, that little smaller propeller that's on the end of the tail of a helicopter, without it, the body of the helicopter itself would start to spin in a direction opposite that of the rotors. So if the rotors are spinning in a clockwise uh, direction, then the helicopter will start to spin in a Wittershins direction. You just wanted to use Wittershins. Yes, didn't I did you? so badly uh, counterclockwise. For those of you who do not speak archaic English, uh, <laughs> hey, where are my Shakespeare homies at? So anyway, yes, the the helicopter would spin without any other other force to counteract this. Mm-hmm. The helicopter would start to spin in the opposite direction, yeah. which would probably be an unpleasant experience for anyone inside that helicopter. Yes. Yeah, so the rotor, what that does is it helps to create thrust to counteract the spinning motion so that the helicopter stays stationary. And by controlling the speed of that rotor, you can actually turn the, the helicopter to the left or to the right, not banking it, but actually, if you're in, if you're hovering in place, you can change the speed that that rotor turns and then turn your helicopter so it's facing an opposite direction. So if it started facing north, you could maybe face west, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, uh, for for this, we have a, uh, a guy named Igor to uh, to thank for that. Yes, Igor did a great job. Yeah, of, of all the people who experimented with the idea of being able to levitate 
a person. I mean, there were there were many, including a, uh, our our friend Leo. Yeah, Leonardo da Vinci. Yep, yep. He he, uh, he tried to create something that he called the air screw, which was a screw shape, and mm-hmm. the idea was that with four people powering this, man powered, of course, back in Leo's day. Uh, that if you were able to turn this air screw fast enough, it would be able to create enough lift to lift the the machine off the ground. Now, he never got this to work, but it was sort of the basis of the idea of what would eventually become a helicopter, although Mm -hmm. it changed dramatically by the time the helicopter actually appeared. Yep, yep. Now, uh, Igor Sikorsky, if you've (laughs) spent any time at all paying attention to helicopters, that name's going to be very familiar to you. Mm -hmm. Um, was a Russian who experimented with the idea of helicopters and then kind of moved away to get into other uh, types of airplane flight and then sort of came back to it later on. Yeah, his early attempts were not met with very much success. No. So he decided, hey, you know what? Let's just put this on the back burner and look at something that I know will work. Yeah. And then eventually once he felt more confident – he revisited this idea of the helicopter. Yeah, back in the uh, around the 1930s, I think, is when uh, when he started really having some luck with it, and he realized mm-hmm. that he was going to need something to, to prevent the helicopter body from spinning like that without yeah. any kind of force. So he decided to mount a tail rotor on his helicopter to, and basically, it's it's creating force in a, in a sideways manner that that is resisting the force uh, that that would naturally cause the helicopter to turn. So, um, you know, hats off to Igor. Yeah, uh, and, and but that was a, a brilliant idea. Yeah, it was in 1939 when he he created the VS 300, which was based off these early designs, and it actually worked. It lifted him up into the air. Uh, it was a bit of a bumpy ride, but then he ended up trying to, uh, he, you know, he refined the design of it. And then um, actually had uh, – he broke a record on May 6, 1941. He broke the World Helicopter Endurance Record and stayed in the air for one hour, 32 minutes, and 26.1 seconds. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, for, for an invention that people had played with for centuries, really, but no one had really cracked it. It was a, a big jump. Mm-hmm. And speaking of jumps, we should say that between the time of the, the top toy that was invented in ancient China mm-hmm. and the time that Sikorsky created the first working helicopter, there were a lot of other people who were involved in trying to make this work. And some of their contributions led into Sikorsky's work. Yes. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these early inventions that were created – uh, we call them hoppers mm-hmm. because they could they could lift off the ground briefly, but they couldn't really sustain flight for any length of time, and they didn't really have any way of changing the direction of that flight. It just would go up and down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, apart from being pushed around by whatever wind happened to be in the area. Yeah, being pushed around by wind. That's but, not a problem. But then, so 1941, he breaks the record. It turns out that you know, the helicopters would become really important in warfare, Oh, yeah. uh, th- that actually became a very uh, – well, the United States in particular really depended upon helicopters in conflicts in Korea and Vietnam. Hey, you know, I've seen MASH. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it starts off with one. Yes. Through early morning fog I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, this was this was a pretty interesting development. I mean, you see a lot of, uh, of the uh, experimental aircraft from that era – just became oddities. Yes, you know, like never auto really, gyros. Yes, which 
You can still find autogyros. True, true. And we should explain what the difference between an autogyro and a helicopter is. Yes. So with a helicopter, those rotors we're talking about, those are powered. That, mm-hmm. that rotor mast turns under power. There's an engine and a transmission. The engine provides the power. Transmission converts it over into the uh, mechanical energy that the rotors need in order to turn. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes uh, the the blades turn fast enough to create the lift. Yes. Autogyros have unpowered rotors. Right. So there is a uh, there there is a set of rotors on top of an autogyro. So in a way, it kind of resembles like a miniature helicopter. Mm-hmm. But then there's a propeller that's either in the front or the back of the autogyro. It all depends on the design of the specific autogyro, mm-hmm. which, which that's what provides thrust. And what happens is it generates an airflow that is directed up at the rotors that are above the autogyro, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that. Upward flowing amount of air is what makes the the blades start to turn, and you just keep increasing the airflow, which again makes the the blades turn faster until that helps counteract the weight of the autogyro, and that's what allows the autogyro to fly. But there's no motor turning those blades; it's all just from the flow of air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, some now some of the more modern helicopters also have a second engine. Uh, which can help, you know, of course, if uh, in the case of the first engine going out. Um, but, you know, there, there's some redundancy there uh, now in, in the more modern helicopters, especially for uh, military helicopters that might be uh, affected by enemy fire. Right, sure, yeah. If you have an engine failure, then you can switch over to a second engine and uh, hopefully prevent catastrophe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the controls that are inside a helicopter. Of course, you have lots of different... Um, uh, dials and indicators that give you sure. information about the environment and uh, uh, information about your helicopter's performance. Those are all uh, – they're too numerous to name really. But mm-hmm. the actual controls, when we were talking about using both your hands and both your feet, uh, well, one hand's going to be on that cyclic pitch lever. Mm-hmm. So this is the lever that controls the angle of each of the rotor blades individually. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one is used mainly to tilt the, the craft to either side or forward and backward. Mm-hmm. But it's it's done in uh, in very it's not it's it's not the one that changes the swash plate. That's the collective pitch lever. So that's a, you know that's your second one that you're holding with your other hand. Um, it's mainly used in things like takeoff and, and landing. It's used to increase or decrease the pitch of all the rotor blades at the same time. And it's mostly responsible for up and down movements, not things like forward, backward, left, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got your foot pedals, and these are what control the tail rotor. And so using the uh, the tail rotors, uh, you, this is how you can turn the, the helicopter so it faces a different direction. You're not banking it, but you're turning it, um, or you're using it just to keep it steady. Uh, and, and if you're wondering, you know, well, what about hovering? Isn't mm-hmm. that easy? No. Hovering is actually pretty difficult to do because you have to you have to get everything in a neutral position and then you have to keep making minor adjustments in order to maintain the position that you're in. In fact, pilots will have to pick a spot that they can look at mm-hmm. and try and maintain their attitude and altitude uh, by by referencing where that spot is and making minor adjustments constantly. Yes. Yeah, it, it helps to... Uh to have a, um, uh, an experienced pilot on board just because uh, not only is there the matter of 
looking at the uh, electronic components in the uh, the craft itself, but to orient uh, him or herself with the land around, just to to give a visual uh, representation of what's going on, and that's that's one of those things that's especially important um, because the wind does blow helicopters around. Um, yeah. You have to take these things into uh, into account, and um, one of the best ways to do that is to use that visual orientation to make sure that you haven't drifted off uh, to some degree. Yep. Now uh, let's talk really quickly about what the process is like if you are. Uh, taking off okay. in a helicopter. So there's several steps. Uh, first, what you would have to do is you have to open up the throttle so mm-hmm. that you can speed up these rotors so that they start turning at a speed fast enough to create the amount of lift you need. Mm-hmm. Um, you do this by actually twisting the handle of one of the uh, the levers you're holding in your hands. And uh, twisting it one way opens the throttle and twisting it the other way closes the throttle. So that's you know that's essentially like sitting stepping on the accelerator of, a, uh, of an automobile. Mm-hmm. Um, so next, what you would do is once you've got the uh, the rotors moving at a, the right speed, you'd start to pull back on the collective control. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to raise the swashplate assembly, and that's going to change the pitch of the rotor blades, and then that's what's going to let you direct that lift the in the right direction so that you can actually get off the ground. Right. Uh, then you would start to... Uh, press down on the left foot pedal because you would need to get the tail rotor spinning so that you could counteract that torque we were talking about, the the, the tendency for the, the chassis to spin in the opposite direction of the rotors. Right. As soon as you're lifting off the ground, you're going to be – it's going to be much easier for the rotors to start to spin the body of the helicopter, the right. fuselage. Yeah. So if you weren't – if you were not – Making that rotor, tail rotor spin, you would start to go on a little mm-hmm. spinny, spinny ride yeah. yourself, which would most likely end in disaster. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you then would start to actually add uh, a counteractive thrust through the tail rotor by pressing down that left pedal. Now, if you got to a point where you needed to turn or you needed to slow that down, you could stop pressing down the left uh, pedal and start pressing down the right pedal, and that's what would counteract that. Um, then you keep pulling back on that collective control while holding down the left foot pedal. And once the correct amount of lift is created, your helicopter will leave the ground. And uh, you'll be flying over the air and, and delivering traffic reports like nobody's business. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and there's even... Other challenges to flying a helicopter, right? I mean, not only is it requiring a lot of coordination, mm-hmm. but even just the way that the air flight works, when you start traveling, say, forward, mm-hmm. you're moving forward at, at around um, 15 to 20 knots of airspeed, you have to, you end up transitioning, transitioning from hovering, which is more or less staying fairly stationary, to moving at a, a full forward flight phase. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, that's where you have the effective translational lift, or ETL. And at that point, the pilot would start to ease up on that left foot pedal and move closer to a neutral setting. And there's going to be a shudder that you'd feel through the rotor system because you are going to fly out of what is called rotor wash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And rotor wash is not where you go to a place where people start 
pouring sudsy water all over your rotor blades and then squirt them down. It's not a, that's not a rotor wash. Rotor wash is actually turbulence, mm-hmm. which is created by these rotor blades turning so quickly. Yes. And you fly through your own turbulence. Yeah. Then once you get to a certain angle, that turbulence is not no longer directed in your flight path, mm-hmm. and you uh, end up having this much more smooth experience. So before you hit that, that flying in that helicopter might feel a little... Well, pardon the pun, but choppy mm-hmm. because you just, you know, you're, you're actually flying through turbulence that you have created through the helicopter itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I have friends who were in the Marines and they said that the way the Marines would explain helicopters is they say uh, helicopters fly by beating the air into submission, <laughs> which is a Funny. very Marines kind of thing oh, to well, say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Simplify. So the uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty interesting method of flight. I'm, it's amazing to me even seeing them now. I mean, you can see the helicopters outside the windows of our office fairly frequently. We're in a part of Atlanta where we'll see traffic helicopters or news helicopters fly overhead. Um, and in fact, when the article was being written for the site, Marshall Brain, the founder of How Stuff Works, had contacted a company in Atlanta that did helicopter tours and helicopter pilots worked for him mm-hmm. and managed to get the president of the company to agree to fly a helicopter so that we could get some video, mm-hmm. which led to one of the more famous incidents at How Stuff Works, yeah. where this helicopter pilot... Uh, Flew relatively close to the building, mm-hmm. and anyone who was on our floor knew what was going on. Well, not even everyone here. Most of the people knew what was going on, but anyone on any other floor had no idea, and I'm pretty sure we terrified half of an office building. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. But it was Marshall Brain who did that, um, so <laughs> not us, not us. Uh, but yeah, we've got some pretty cool footage from those videos. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> we have some pretty cool footage from those videos that are part of this article. So if you want to see what I'm talking about in action, go to HowStuffWorks.com. Look up how helicopters work. Uh, and we have other articles about helicopters as well, including specific ones like how the Apache helicopter works, mm-hmm. which goes into more detail about other systems besides the flight control system. It's also got weapon systems and its role in military applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, of course, just really focusing on the basics of helicopter flight. But let's also talk now. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk about specifically about helicopters before I move on to quadricopters? Um, no, go go right ahead. Okay, so quadricopters. Uh, now, if you haven't seen one of these, this, these tend to be these little uh, uh, unmanned aerial vehicles yeah. that have four rotor systems on them. Yeah, the ones I've seen have been prim- uh, primarily for uh, models for entertainment purposes. Yeah, yeah, RC-controlled ones or sometimes that you can control them through a smartphone. Mm-hmm. In our RC episode, we talked a little bit about them. What, what, are, you, what are you grinning at? Someone's going to write in about RC-controlled. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, Remote control control? I stopped by over my ATM machine Radio with my PIN con- number, and I got an RC-controlled air- helicopter. How about that? How about them apples? <laughs> All right, then. Uh, anyway, yes, I... Okay. So anyway, yes, you, there's also ones that you can control with your smartphone, the Parrot AR drone, Yeah. Uh, which was at CES the first time, I think, was maybe three or four years ago. Yeah. And that was very impressive to see. That was the first time I had ever seen a four-rotor uh, copter, a quadricopter. Right. And uh, you might wonder, well, how do these things work? They don't have a tail rotor. Yeah. There's no tail rotor, so how do they counteract that torque we were talking about? Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty clever. 
Yeah. Two of the rotors on a quadricopter turn in one direction. Right. And the other turn, two turn in the other direction. And they cancel each other out. Yes. The, the, the opposite, they both pr- uh, produce enough torque so that you can keep the, um, the, the quadricopter from turning in place either one way or the other. And when I say you, I don't really mean you. Because most of these have pretty sophisticated microprocessors on board that really uh, register, measure the amount of torque and all the other elements here so that they can ad- make adjustments to the speed of each of those rotors in order to maintain the proper attitude and altitude of that device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all you have to do is say, I want you to go over there. And then all these other microprocessors do everything it ca- that they can to make that happen while keeping it nice and safe, which is pretty cool. I mean, you you know, you think about all the work that they have to do in order for that to, to turn out that way. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots of different kinds of quadricopters. And if you do want to make it turn, like if you want to make it bank one way or the other, again, what happens is it uh, the quadricopter adjusts the speed at which certain rotors uh, are spinning. Right. And so the lift changes. Exactly. Yes, the lift changes and the torque changes. Mm-hmm. So the two together can make you strafe it to the left or to the right or forward or backward. I've even seen, I mean, we've seen some that can do flips mm-hmm. because what they'll do is they'll, is one side will spin very, very quickly while the other side stops spinning. It'll lift up into the air and then they'll switch the, the, the directions of the rotors so that it flips it in midair and lands back, you know, uh, right side up mm-hmm. with all rotors going so that it, goes back into flying. Mm-hmm. And the video that we were talking about at the very top of this podcast was a little unnerving, really. Yeah. Because we were seeing groups of these quadricopters that were all following the same program. And you could have them grouped into individual little squadrons, like squadrons of four quadricopters. Right. And I think there were something like uh, they were using 12 in all. So they had three groups of four, yeah. and they would send the three groups of four through an uh, through an obstacle course, and they would maneuver past each other. But they would all the four quadricopters would move as a single unit, right? Which was kind of creepy. Yeah, you know, you'd, to see something move like several small things all moving together as one like that was a little odd. And they could make them move through things like windows, which was way creepier. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got I got these images of uh, of drones coming into your house. Yeah, and going. Hello, Mister Smith. Yeah, <laughs> we have something we'd like to say to you. Uh oh, Skynet. Yeah, no, it's uh yeah. The you did video, not pay your water bill. So the video we're talking about specifically, and I'll try and link to this when we do some show notes, is called "Precise Aggressive Maneuvers for Autonomous Quadro Quadroters Quadroters." I was going to say quadricopters, but it's spelled quadrotors, and it totally threw me off. But this was done through the GRASP lab, G-R-A-S-P, at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's uh, General Robotics Automation Sensing and Perception. Yeah, so this particular video shows these uh, these tiny quadricopters moving through various maneuvers. What's interesting here is that the one I'm looking at right now, like, it's... This is one of those videos that just got really popular all of a sudden, right? Yeah, it's like been it's a just, meme. I bet. I bet several of our listeners or watch listeners um, are uh, have, have seen, seen this. it. Yeah, but the video that I'm looking at right now was uploaded in 2010. Yeah, so two years ago, and we're just now starting to catch on. It sometimes the internet's a little slow to catch on to memes. 
That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was something that started to make its make the rounds in uh, and on Google Plus and on Facebook mm-hmm. recently and Twitter as well. And uh, just one of those cool things that it turns out it's been in the works for a few years, but we just started to get the attention of the the world in general. Mm-hmm. But it shows a really interesting approach to programming these quadricopters and showing their capabilities and what they might be used for. And you might think, okay, well, you know, you put a camera on these and then suddenly you've got a spy plane. But you could also have it for something like first responders. Oh, yeah. So there's a – let's say there's an accident and you send some of these in uh, that to in order to, to scan the scene and make sure that, one, it's safe enough to send in emergency response teams mm-hmm. and, two – whether or not it's even necessary to start send in emergency response teams. You may send in, let's say there's a building that's that's on fire, and you send some of these over to look. Because, I mean, it's, these things relatively to a human life are cheap. Oh, yeah. They're nothing. So you can make as many of these as you like. They're going to be – they might be a little expensive, but it's less expensive than losing a human life. Yeah. So you send these things in and take a look around. It may turn out that, oh, well, you know what? That building was completely abandoned. There was no one in there. So mm-hmm. we don't need to risk the lives of any emergency responders. We can just use the firefighters to try and put this fire out. Right. So that's the kind of idea that uh, we'd be looking at from that point forward. And you know, there's a lot of other possibilities Um Besides that, I mean, that's traffic, you know, having them look at traffic, things like that. That's these are all possibilities. Now, granted, you have to figure out how to supply the power to these things. Most of them are battery operated mm-hmm. and the battery will only last so long. So it's not like you would send out, you know, wake up, punch the clock, send out 50 quadricopters to cover the city. And then at the end of the day, they all come back. Uh, so, you know, it's not like it's a it's a. So it's not like you can solve all the problems just by sending out quadricopters. Right. But it's a cool idea, and the videos are pretty awesome. Also, the the, the parrot videos, yeah. those are really cool, too, because those have incorporated uh, smartphone applications. Yes, and you could see through the camera. You can see, yes. You can use it as you can use it as a surveillance tool, although it is, it's whisper quiet. <laughs> I've used that, I've used that phrase like eight times on tech stuff recently, but yeah, it's, it's not like it's subtle. It's, you'll hear a when you're playing with one of these things, but yes. you can use it to look through the camera and they've even in, incorporated games mm-hmm. into the, the drones so that you can, uh, if you have one and your friend has one, you're both controlling them with your smartphones. You can play a game where you're essentially kind of like laser tag, but mm-hmm. with drones. Yep. How awesome is that? And then they also have other games where, uh, they'll have targets show up on your screen. They're not, they don't actually exist in real life. Yeah. It's an augmented reality program where the targets appear on your screen and your job is to fly your drone so that you can use a little imaginary laser to shoot down these targets. Mm-hmm. It's neat stuff like that. And it really, I mean, beyond the fact that a quadricopter is pretty darn cool by itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, that one in particular also has uh, some bumpers that uh, sort of be a, a shield for the for the rotors. Yes, yes. Uh, so that you can fly it indoors. A lot of the uh, um, model helicopters I've seen are, are more traditional and, and do not have that kind of protection for the rotors. So you, you wouldn't want to necessarily fly it around your house. Even, yeah, you wouldn't well, want I've to bang into a lamp or something. Yeah, even I've seen some of the small ones that are palm, sort of palm-sized. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if it actually touches something, it could... Uh, uh, damage it or the copter or both. And yeah. that, uh, that would be. You could bang into someone and cut them. Very serious. Very yeah. serious. So. so, but yeah, the AR drone one, the, the, 
little bumpers you're talking about, they look like little discs that fit around, like yeah. hollow discs. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they fit right around where the rotors are, and so it kind of makes this uh, a safer device so that if it were to bump into something, you would just get bumped. You wouldn't get cut. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still, you wouldn't want to get it around uh, people or, or pets, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, be... but it makes it a little safer. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And then uh, I've also heard from enthusiasts, people mm-hmm. who really enjoy flying RC helicopters and RC quadricopters, mm-hmm. that if you're interested in this, a quadricopter in general tends to be a lot easier to fly mm-hmm. because those microprocessors I was talking about do a lot of the, the fine-tuning for you. Yeah. So all you do is you tell it, I want you to go up, and it takes care of the, the controls that needs to to make those different rotors spin at the right speeds and makes it go up. Or turn left, or turn right, or, mm-hmm. or strafe, or whatever. So it's it can be a lot of fun, and it can get people into the hobby, and it's not incredibly challenging. On mm-hmm. the other hand, flying a remote control helicopter requires a lot of finesse. Not quite the same sort of thing you would need if you were flying a, a life-size helicopter, but still, it does require that you control things like the tail rotor, and that you're very uh, methodical with the way that you try and and uh, turn the helicopter, maneuver it, takeoffs and landings. It's it's actually, from what I understand, one of the more challenging RC vehicles to control mm-hmm. because there's just so much you have to keep in mind. However, that being said, even though it's really challenging, I also hear it's one of the most enjoyable experiences, very rewarding because once you master that, you know you really have a sense of accomplishment. So if you are interested in that kind of hobby, I recommend you go ahead and you know check it out, see what. See what it would look, uh, how much it would cost to get into it, because these these devices can be fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the a few hundred dollars is on the low end of some of these devices. Right. But it is something that if you're interested in learning more about flight, if you're interested in uh, just kind of getting a new skill, it's kind of a cool thing to get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you know what? I've never actually ridden in a helicopter. Have you? No. Mm-mm. That's one of my goals. Yeah, I really want to do. I want to do That'd a heli- just a simple helicopter tour. Yeah, nothing, nothing terribly, you know, exciting. I I was thinking about actually doing one in Hawaii because I thought, well, heck, that would be amazing. Oh yeah, you know the 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 landscape and everything. But um, uh, I I happen to be married to someone who finds air travel to be the uh, not the most relaxing experience, and so I didn't do that. Mm. I did go parasailing though. Interesting. Yeah, totally not at all like. Flying in a helicopter. No, I would imagine not. Yeah, I don't even know why I brought it up. Okay. All right, so let's let's wrap this up, guys. This was fun. I'm yeah. glad we did this because you know we like to try and tackle lots of different kinds of topics here at Tech Stuff. We like to talk about the things that are big social phenomena. You know, things like a, like social networking sites and how technology affects us personally or as a society. Mm-hmm. And we like to talk about companies and we like to talk about innovators. But once in a while, it's fun to take a specific type of technology and really deconstruct it and talk about the various parts and what makes it go tick or fly in this case. So if you guys have any suggestions for future topics, no matter which category they may be, and we'll even open it up a little bit. We're we're hoping this year, and I'm saying hoping because there's no guarantee it's ever going to work out, but we're hoping that we can maybe get a few guests on the show in the future. So if you have any specific guests in technology that you think would be an interesting interview for Tech Stuff... Let us know, and we will try our best to see if we can arrange something. Now, keep in mind, that requires the scheduling of not just 
the two tech stuff hosts you've come to know and love, <laughs> but whatever amazing person you have come up with. So uh, we'll do our best, but we can't make any promises. But let us know. Send us a message. You can tell us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW. Or send us an email. That address is TechStuff at Discovery.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Forks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?